Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is September 23rd, 2014. This is episode 1432 of the Survival Podcast. And I've got a totally different one for you today. Except I, I just want to say something. I, I don't usually say this. It's not fair to my partner here in crime. Uh, I always say one man's opinion. It's usually one man and one dog's or two dog's opinion, depending on who's hanging out with me today. Charlie Daniels Spearco. The Pointer Pitbull Mix is at my feed today as I podcast. Just thought some of you dog people might want to know that. Max is off doing his thing somewhere else. And lately you've heard a lot from uh, one other creature, the rooster. One of the roosters tends uh, to get out of his area, and he's been heard on the show lately. He seems to be uh, developing a fan base out there. Before I get into today's show, which is going to be a unique and different one, I'm going to talk about the millennial generation today and why they're lost and how they got that way and why the hell you should care even if you're not one of them and what the hell we should do about it and what they should do about it for themselves because the honest truth is in many instances the people from our generations and back aren't going to do anything about it because in many cases they're kind of done and this is important this is an important topic and I'll tell you I leaked I leaked yesterday that I'm going to be slowly trickling out some information about a new initiative that I'm going to be launching that really isn't about prepping or preparedness or survivalism or permaculture, but it is in some ways something that can help address this. I didn't say it could fix it, but it can help address it. Think about that as I go through today's show, and I want to put it out to you this way. If you don't think worrying about our current generation is a survival topic, I don't even know what to say. All of us who are a bit older, I am from Gen X to what's called the tweener generation, really, and um, my wife's also what you call a tweener. That's the one that gets left out all the time. That's between the baby boom generation and Generation X. Um, we, from those generations and on back to the boomers, are going to one day live in a world where we're the old men and women, and these will be the people in charge of the planet, We might want to think about that before we dismiss them. I actually have a really interesting video I'm going to play for you when we get into the main segment of today's show that tells you a little bit about how at least some of them feel about the attitudes that the previous generations have about them. They're not entirely wrong. Anyway, before I get to that, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsor. Sponsor of the day number one today is, who is it? It is Safe Castle Royal, the original survival podcast sponsor, the company that sponsored us before anybody else has been here forever since day one. They give away their lifetime membership discount uh, package, which is a $49 product they sell every day for that price for free to all Survival Podcast members. So uh, they are a great supporter. They have everything you need from a prepping standpoint, from the practical to the tactical and everything in between. Check them out today at safecastle.com. Next up, Fortress Defense Consultants. They make you the linchpin that you need to be in the triangle of gun operator effectiveness. That's the weapon, the ammo, and the operator. You can just buy a good gun, and you can just buy good ammo, and as long as you maintain the gun, the ammo and the weapon will do its job. The variable in the equation is always the individual. You are the linchpin. That means you need good quality, top-end professional training if you're ever going to rely on that weapon for the defense of life and or property. 
Frank Sharp Jr. and his cadre of instructors are the best people I know in the business. Check them out today at FortressDefense.com. Next up, let's take a look at the year that was the episode, the year 1432. I have two segments from the awesome Alex Shrug today. One is called Monument Men and the Mystic Lamb, and the other one is called the Baccalariat Service. I'm going to read the Baccalariat Service, and if you want to read Monument Men and the Mystic Lamb, get over to TSP Wiki using the link in today's show notes. Today, okay, again, baccalaureate service. College graduates are presumed to be clergy in the year 1432. And though it is unlikely that priesthood will be their ultimate vacation, the University of Oxford has instituted a baccalaureate service. Graduates of the university must deliver a sermon in Latin at church. The sermons are sometimes as long as four hours, so it is not clear how much worship is going on. The medieval scholastic method consists of absorbing various points of view on a subject and resolving differences through a series of logical points. Such a sermon might turn on a small detail that leads to a larger, more profound point. Although the subject is often a religious one, this method uses the same as any secular logical exercise. The skills needed for both are largely the same. My take by Alex Shrugged, who puts these together for us. Baccalaureate services continue into the modern day. A quick Google search reveals many here in Texas, mostly at religious institutions. YouTube has a video selection of such speeches. In, in a secular setting, there is no religious sermon, but speeches of encouragement are reasonable. In any case, there is no longer a Latin requirement. The collective student body breathes a sigh of relief. Um, so now you know where baccalaureate came from, and that's still done a lot of high schools as well. Um, I'll tell you my take on this. Number one, if every graduate of a university had to give a speech up to four hours at a church as a sermon, you could maybe do two a day. So there was a lot less graduates per capita than there is today, and that might say something about our current situation. But you know how I actually see this? I see this as, at the time, and certainly not that this was a perfect time to be alive by any means, but at the time... The university was something that was very serious, and it was taken seriously, and someone who completed it had actually accomplished a great deal. And I would say this is almost like doing an oral doctorate thesis, or at least an oral master's thesis. So those of you who have been through Ph.D. and master's level courses uh, that had to uh, submit a thesis at the end of it, um, I'll tell you what, that's pretty much what this sounds like it was to me. And it might be far more valuable. The reason it might be far more valuable is if you can actually stand up and articulate yourself in a way that's understood by people listening to you and convey information for an hour or more straight, then you've accomplished something. It's not easy. And uh, there's something to be said for accomplishment. All right, with that, I do want to remind you guys before I get into the main topic of today's show that we are doing a sale on Members Support Brigade. First year for 30 bucks, or if your membership has expired, you can renew for 30 bucks. The discount code is FALL14, F-A-L-L-1-4. Just use that in the checkout code. You can also pay by mail, check, money order, cash, silver. Remember, if you're paying with silver, make sure it's properly packaged. Don't just throw it in an envelope because we've had it stolen from various times it's been mailed through the post office. We've had silver stolen. Uh, I suggest that if you're sending anything that can be... Uh, valuable that you somehow protect it. Silver, the easiest way seems to be, if you're going to put it in just a plain envelope, put it between a couple of pieces of cardboard and tape the cardboard together. Um, that seems to work out rather well. We haven't had any stolen from packaging like that. All right. 
um, with that, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. It is how we uh, we pay the bills around here. If you think the show's worth 18.3 cents an episode, the MSB is a good value on any day. But during this sale period, it comes out to 12.5 cents an episode. So if you've been on the fence and thinking about joining, give it a try, man. Join it. Um, you know, it's a, it's a great deal, and it will pay for itself. One of the ways it will pay for itself was with a great discount uh, to Bob Wells' uh, nursery. And uh, it is Tuesday, so I have the Bob Wells plant of the week for you today, and it's Arbicua olive, or Arbucina olive, I think is the way you say it. I have four of them growing here. Well, I have three. One, I think, is dead. Uh, but it's a risk play for me because I'm right at the edge of seven and eight, so we'll see if they'll survive. But uh, Arbucina olive is from uh, Spain, and here's what Bob Wells has to teach us about the plant of the week this week. It's a cold-hardy variety that has one of the highest olive production and oil yields, The soil should be well-drained. The tree has an upright habitat. They recommend covering the tree the first winter if the temperature drops below freezing. Once the tree has been in the ground for a year and is well-rooted, it will become it will begin to withstand colder temperatures. The older the tree gets, the more cold-hardy it becomes. The oil is sweet, delicate, and fragrant with an intense fruitiness but low levels of bitterness and spiciness. If you live above Zone 8, you can grow it in a container and bring it inside during the winter months. You can get this plant at Bob Wells Nursery. Olive trees are not cheap. It's a $60 plant, but uh, if you were an MSB member, you'd save six bucks on one of those alone. So I'll tell you what, it's another example of us making the MSB a better value all the time. All right, with that, I do want to get into today's main topic, which is millennials. And, and the millennial generation has also been called Generation Y. Some people actually split Y and Millennials into two generations, the Ys being the tail end of the Gen X experience, and the Millennials being all of the children born after the year 2000. Some say the Millennials are you know, kids that were born in the 90s, but you know, became teenagers after the millennium and have never really known a world without the Internet and computers and things like that. However you define it, basically, I look at it this way. As I get older, the when I say kids... I say children, I mean children. I mean little kids. I mean five, six, diapers, 12, 13-ish, 14 young teenagers when I say children. When I say kids, I include um, people at an age that when I was that age, if somebody called me a kid, it bothered me. When you're, when you're in your 40s and you have a grandchild, um, you, you, you look at somebody that's in their 20s and you call them a kid. When you have a son that's 25, you look at him and call him a kid. Right, So I don't know that I still call 25-year-olds kids, even though my kid's 25, if that makes sense. But in your early 20s and back, I call you kids. And I don't mean any disrespect by it at all. That's just what you are to an older man. And um, when I say millennials, I mean that group. The group kind of is the cutoff point right now that I call kids. And I would say even up to about you know people that are just about to turn 30. Um, they grew up with very common experiences. And they're sitting in a world right now where they do feel lost. I don't mean they're lost and that there's something wrong with them. I mean they're lost and they don't know what to do. Kind of explaining to you where I'm coming at to you today from... You would think that the most difficult questions I would get to answer would come from older people who have been around the block a few times and know, you know what is a tough question to ask and... Or are at a point in their life because I get questions that are very personal sometimes. Stuff you don't guys don't hear on the air about making decisions with their lives and 
decisions with their families and things like that. I'm not sure how I ever ended up being the guy that people asked, but I do my best when those questions come in. And it'll be things like career changes or I have a chance to move to another state, but I have to leave, you know, my, my nuclear family behind. Uh, you know, maybe not the kids, but like my parents and my wife's parents will have to not be here and the kids will be away from their stuff like that. And you'd think that those are the hardest questions I would get. Well, they're not. The hardest questions I get is one of the duck sounds off out there. I don't know if you can hear them. Uh, come from millennials. They come from 18, 19, 20 year old kids that I never thought would even listen to what I had to say. They'd email me and say, Jack, I'm just getting out of high school or I'm thinking about going to college. I'm thinking about joining the military. I'm thinking about taking this job or not. I'm thinking about traveling the country. What do, what the hell do I do? Um, that, it may not seem like a big deal, but when you're the one getting the question, it, it's heavy. It's heavy to realize that someone else's kid is coming to you because you have a podcast and asking you what they should do with their life. It's also heavy because of the responsibility. If someone asks your opinion unsolicited like that, that means they respect it, and there's a damn good chance they may act on it. And often I think, I know what I think because of the way you've asked this question, but I don't really know you. I don't know your background. I don't know how you grew up. I don't know what your tolerances for risk are. I don't know what your opportunities really are. Anytime somebody asks a question like that, there's an answer they kind of sort of want to hear, and sometimes it's just good to give them that answer because they've thought it out and they just need the courage to go forward with it, and sometimes it's a bad choice, and it's really hard to tell. It's a very, very difficult question to answer. And as I sit and look at the country and the world as it is today, I have very, very mixed emotions because I see it as a wonderful time to be alive and I see it as a very difficult time to be 20 or 25, especially if you don't realize the opportunity you have, especially if you believe the lies and the bullshit that this is the, like a horrible time to be around. And that's a big part of their problem. Um, but have you ever stopped and wondered... How do they feel about us? Well, I found this interesting YouTube video. I'm going to play you part of it right now, and I'm going to come back and tell you the little piece at the end that I didn't play because it wouldn't come across very well. But it might be the most important part of the whole video. And I'm not going to say that these kids get everything right because some of the problems you'll hear in what they're pointing out that they actually believe certain things are bad or imminently dangerous or things like that. But their viewpoint is really not flawed here. So listen to this video. It's called Millennials, We Suck and We're Sorry, uh, with all the sarcasm that the current generation is capable of mustering. And uh, if you think this is all wrong, give these kids a listen, because this is done a little bit tongue-in-cheek. And with an agenda. And it's professionally done. This isn't just a couple of kids that threw this together. So there's clearly an angle to it. But the angle's not all wrong. I'm a millennial. I'm a millennial. I'm a millennial. I'm a millennial. And I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. We suck and we know it. We're self-centered. We're entitled. We're narcissistic, lazy, and immature. And we're super sorry about that. We're the worst. If only we could be more like our parents. Yeah, the baby boomers. You guys were great. They gave us great music. 60s counterculture. Psychedelic drugs. A lot of great movies, too. Jurassic Park was awesome. Good job with that one. We don't know what happened. You raised us to believe that we were special. 
so special that we didn't even have to do anything to earn it. I got this trophy for existing in soccer. That's pretty special. No idea what went wrong. You tried your best. You insisted we all go to college, and now we're the most educated generation in American history. Sure, college costs 600% more than it did when you went, and yes, we averaged like $30,000 in student loan debt. But here we go again, making excuses. We're so lazy. Instead of living in our parents' basements and waiting tables, we should just go and get real jobs, like you did. I mean, not a job in manufacturing, since those all got outsourced in the 90s. Man, the 90s were great. Do you guys remember Full House? good show. We graduated into a recession and 90% of the jobs created since 2009 are part-time. But let's be honest, we just don't like hard work. Hey, what was the deal with that recession anyway? I think it had something to do with the housing bubble that started in the 90s. I don't know, I was still pretty young back then. Oh, and we're really sorry about messing up those two wars you guys started. Sorry so many of our friends died. We just can't do anything right. We're really sorry we suck so much. I mean, it's not like we jacked up college tuition prices or... Destroyed the manufacturing industry. Started two quagmire wars. Gutted the unions. Destroyed the global economy. And left our offspring with an environmentally devastated planet stripped of its natural resources. Man, it'd be crazy if there was a generation that recklessly awful, huh? But we do text too much. Ugh. I know, right? So on behalf of all the millennials, we'd like to apologize for being so terrible. From now on, we're going to be just like the baby boomers. Because you guys, you nailed it. How does that make you feel? How does that make you feel? Now, if, you're, if you're like me and you're really a Gen X or a tweener, you feel a little bit better because they left you out of it. Right? We're kind of in the middle with them. We're... We're the we're the and for many of these kids that are in their twenties, it's not the forty year old blame they blame, it's the fifty five year old, the sixty year old, right? The sixty five year old that that that's crotchety and old and complains about them all the time. Um but you know that they 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 acknowledge certain things that that we say about them. That they got trophies for doing nothing, and you might wonder why they do that. We'll cover that today. We'll cover that today. But I want to tell you probably the most important part of this video, and it's it, it's wa it's worth watching, so that you can actually understand the real problem. It just wouldn't have played out very well. At the end of the video, there's like you know this thing to encourage you to watch more. Like I said, this is professionally done, and then there's this little side window, and it's still like video going on at a quieter tone, and they're texting, and the girls making kombucha with date palm sugar or whatever, and at the end. The male voice you hear in the entire thing is this young kid, and he's, he's working on a bike through the whole thing. He's got the bike upside down with the chain off of it. And at the end, he's standing there with his bicycle at the very end, and he, he pushes his iPhone and says, Siri, how do you fix a bike? And then he looks all frustrated, and this kid's probably 20-something and says, I want my dad. I don't know that they are really clear on how spot on that was, and maybe they, the people behind that video need to take a little bit more of a serious look at that component and put something together that's maybe a little bit more hard-hitting and less plucky, because that is indeed the key. It's not, I want my dad because I don't, you know, I, I'm a little kid now and I need my daddy. It's, I want my dad because my dad never showed me how to freaking do this. 
this generation is beaten up on, well, because it's convenient for us to do and it makes us feel better about ourselves. It's easy to talk about someone else and how it wasn't that way when you were a kid, and maybe it wasn't, but children don't change in, in their general, if you would look at it as a delivered product, okay? So in other words, a child born today is pretty much um, potentially the same being as a child born in 1980. We haven't biochemically changed in any major way between 1980 and 2014 as it beings. I mean, there's sure there's more toxins in our bodies and what have you, but a, a young kid, a five-year-old today, it, it, unless they're somehow abused, is just as optimistic as a five-year-old in 1975. How the hell do they get so screwed up by the time they're 15 then? They didn't change, we did. And we more accurately, as multiple generations have changed society, and we've messed it up pretty bad. And you might look and say, well, I didn't do it. No, you didn't, but yet you did, because you were part of it. And so was I. That doesn't mean we get all the blame, but it also means we don't get to take all the credit and give them all the blame. And every generation tends to blame the one before. And every generation tends to look down on the one that follows. It's a mistake. Something we need to correct. The first reason, though, that this is really all so screwed up is we've been convinced this is a terrible time to be alive, and the young generation has been convinced that it's even worse. This is actually a great time to be alive. There's never been a time in history where it was easier to learn. It was more able to gain education on things that you can really use. Sure, college costs are through the roof. I, I don't dispute that, but you don't need college. Or you don't just need college. There's so many other opportunities out there, and there's so many people willing to teach, and there's such a great medium now with the Internet for that information to be exchanged. There, there, there's never been a time where it's better to want to learn things. And you can learn anything from the most primitive skills to the most advanced skills if you'll just try. There's never been a time like this in history. Because of all the technological innovation, people like me can create a business. This business I started in 2008. It's now 2014. And I've built a, a business up with 100,000 people a day tuning in to hear what I have to say. I could not have done that in 1985. I could not have done that in 1995. And I am a tiny example of what's possible. So many wonderful things, including things that are physical products that people actually make that create jobs. It's true a lot of the, the building of those products has moved over to... China and other, you know, the Philippines and other places like that. But the ability for a person to participate in that chain with control is higher than ever. And what I mean by that is in 1985, if you wanted to come up with a product, take a product to market, sure, eventually if you got it done, it might have been made in, in Washington or Illinois, but it was much more difficult to get there. Today, you can actually be that person much easier. Now, that requires a different type of thinking than we grew up with. But today's a spectacular time to be alive. And if we keep telling our children and our next generation, this is an awful time to be alive and everything is screwed up and you're lost, well, they just might believe it. 
So maybe the first thing we should do as a society, and we can't do it as a society because society has its head up as a, its ass, which is a direct reflection of why these kids have so many issues, okay? That, that we have to individually do it with our own children and the children that we have relationships with as nieces and nephews and as you know children of our friends and things like that. We have to make the individual change just like always. There's no easy answer. But every single time one of these kids does something awesome and amazing, for real, we should acknowledge it. Because these kids do have a forward-thinking ability that many of us are losing. Because it's how we age. When you're 20, you'll try anything if people haven't told you not to. right? If, you, if, you, if people just get the hell out of your way, you'll do anything. At 30, you'll still do anything, but you'll be smart about it. At 40... You'll do most things, maybe, depending on your situation in life. You start to hedge a lot more. By 50, new things are tough. By 60, most people have no desire to do anything any different than they've ever done before. This is why most people that are 60 today use a cell phone and actually use the features of it. Okay? They text and send pictures and stuff. And I know one of you is going to tell me your 85-year-old mom, mom-in-law or whatever sends pictures to Flickr or whatever. But most 85-year-olds will use a cell phone because they were around when they kind of sort of came out and they weren't that much different than a phone and they were like in their 60s and whatever. So it makes sense. It's a phone. It does what a phone does. Very few of them actually use the features of a smartphone. Why? Because it's something new and I just don't have time for it anymore. As we age, more and more of that happens. Joel Salatin talked about that with this, you know, this changing of a farmer generation. So the average farmer today is 62 years old. You come to him and say there's all these new ways to do things. They don't care. I don't have time for that shit. I just got to get done. And kids are the ones that have that spark, and that's what keeps things moving forward and innovating. And the reason we might want to call them a lost generation, if we keep holding them back and we keep telling them it's terrible and we keep telling them it's awful and we keep telling them they suck, is because society's going to lose that in them. And it might be the next generation that has to come forward and pick it up, kind of like the World War I generation that had that original name, the lost generation. And it will be we who have lost and not them. At least behind them will be another generation that will come forward and have that spark and hopefully not have it quashed out, but we'll be old. We're the ones that will really lose if we don't change the way we're behaving. And I'll tell you why people can't see that this is a great time to be alive and, and what went wrong. <sighs> We saw so much get so much better so fast. We expected that it would continue to do that. And when it just didn't happen, it became it's not it's not good anymore. If you think about the innovations in society from 1980 to the year 2000 and the growth of economic power of the United States and the technological innovations and the communication innovations and things like that, There's probably never been a 20-year run in the history of planet Earth with that much new, amazing things happening. 
And then we got all that stuff, and now it has to be harnessed and used, and we have to do something with it. And many of us that saw it develop, and we were part of the development, we waxed nostalgically for what life was like in 1982, but we sure wouldn't give up all the great things that came with it. Well, we're waiting for more. Well, it's up to us to do something with it. And no one told us that along the way. No one said that, hey, you know what? One day all this new stuff that keeps coming out so fast, so fast, so fast, amazing, amazing, amazing. Yeah, one day we're going to have to pay for it all. And one day we're going to have to actually do something meaningful with it all. That we can only be carried forward with this momentum of just it's new so it's cool for so long. And sooner or later we'll have to pay the bills. And we're going to pay the bills by using these things as tools to develop the next great thing. We just expected that it would keep happening. Frankly, my generation, the Gen Xers, we're the entitlement generation. We were so fortunate to have so much opportunity as we grew up and know it that we came to expect that it would just be here. And when it stopped improving, we said it's not good anymore. And we told those behind us it's not good anymore. And those ahead of us told all the people behind us, you're super and special and wonderful and great for doing nothing. Yeah, why do our children and young adults feel lost today? The very first thing is they don't know where they've come from. They don't have the experience that most of us did a few generations ago. Grandparents that actually told them their family history. Told them how we got here. Told them the good things about how this country became one of the greatest things that's ever existed on planet Earth. I pick on America all the time for all of our stupidity and all of our apathy and all the bad we do in the world now, and we do. But this nation was a great nation. And we now have an educational system that's crapping on the time when this nation was actually great. They don't have any understanding of true history, real history. And they don't have an understanding of their own history. And due to that, they have no idea where they're going. I said I'd be leaking a little information here and there about this new initiative. And boy, that's it right there. You guys, I think you'll be shocked when you see what I'm going to be doing in the next month or two. But it's about knowing where you come from and knowing where you're going. You can't know where you're going if you don't know where you've been. Of course you're lost. So the generation before got busy and stopped telling them about how they got there. So now they don't know where they are. And if you, if you want to know where you're going, you have to know where you are. If I drop you off in the middle of the country somewhere and don't give you a GPS, but I give you car keys, a gas card, and a map, and say go to Philadelphia, good luck. I mean, you first the first thing you're going to do is find out where you're going to drive somewhere and where the hell am I at. Now, once you know where you're at, You could plot a course to Philadelphia if, if you want to go there. You might change your mind and say, you know what, I think I'm going to head to freaking, I don't know, Florida. Nice there this time of year, right? But you do have to figure out where you are. And the way you know where you are in life, it's not that simple. You can't just ask. You can't pull up to a gas station and go, hey, where am I at in life? You have to know how you got to where you are. You have to know how the generation before you got to where it was. It's, it's just the way that it is. So, of course, they feel lost. And now, the other thing I think that we've really lost, and it's because of some other things I touch, I'll touch on, but children today do not have a connection to the earth and innate humanity because of that. 
I don't believe that the human being was ever meant to not be in contact with terra firma, dirt. Kids are supposed to play in dirt. Kids are supposed to roll around with other kids and wrestle and, and toil and play in dirt. Kids are supposed to make forts in woods. Kids are supposed to play in groups without constant supervision. That's part of how they develop as individuals. We sanitized and sterilized the humanity out of our children and then go, gee, what's wrong with them? Oh, okay. All right? So that's another thing. They don't have contact with just what it is to be human and to be a child anymore. They have to be supervised at all times. We have people making phone calls to CPS and the police if a kid plays 100 yards away from his front door. And then we have people that are actually thinking people defending this. Well, well, you know, somebody could steal them. Well, you know, somebody could hit me with a truck tomorrow. Life can't be lived without risks. So they don't have that connection to innate humanity in the earth anymore. They're environmentalists that don't understand the planet. The next thing is they believe the hype from both sides of the dichotomy. They think that we're full of shit because largely we are. But they believe that they believe we've taught them one thing they really believe that we can make a difference by voting and they all got together, at least the ones over 18 eight years ago, right? The older millennials, they all got together and they said, "This Obama guy, hope and change. Yes. No. Shit." This didn't work. Let's try it one more time. Ah, damn. This guy doesn't do This guy's a jackass. Like the rest of these people his age. We can't trust him either. But they believe the hype. They believe global warming is going to drown us all. It's nonsense. But they believe this. They, I don't care if you believe in the theory of global warming as presented, which at this point, you really got to at least say it might not be true or it might not be as true as they've said. But if you believe it, and you're in your 40s or 50s, you probably understand that, okay, if everything they say is true, it could be an environmental catastrophe. We're talking about oceans rising a couple inches. These kids believe, due to the hype in their textbooks, that New York City will be underwater. I don't even believe the two inches. But again, most people that are grounded and a little bit more mature get, hey, even if you're a true believer, it ain't what, what, what this hype bullshit is. The kids believe this. They believe the terrorists are going to get them. They believe the right wing's message of that. They're going to get you. They're going to get you. And they believe the solution exists in the very system that's caused the problem, and yet they know that can't be true, so they don't know what to do. Of course they feel lost. Because they feel helpless about the hype. They believe it, but they don't think they can really do anything. They're told, oh, recycle. So they, they give that a shot, especially as they get a little older, maybe get their first place with a friend or live in their parents' basement. And they start to really think about this, like, if the polar bears are really going to die, this aluminum can's not going to, I, no, this can't possibly be, I, no. They go out and they look for jobs because they're told, you know, hard work is the key to success. But no one wants to give them a job where they can actually work hard. And you'll say, well, they don't know how to apply for a job properly. Well, no one taught them. So there's very few jobs to apply for that are actually full-time jobs for an unexperienced young person who wants to give it a go. More and more of them are being eliminated, and no one really taught them what it, what it took to get that first job. Because the first job, you go down the street and you talk to a neighbor and you cut their grass. 
But we told them, you don't want to do that. You don't want to beat. That's blue-collar crap. You're going to college. And we blame them. So they feel completely helpless in this. We also, we do not permit them to fail. You know, yesterday I talked about that young girl with the chapstick thing, and I said, if that was my kid, I would be down there telling that principal, hey, you're not doing this to her. But the one thing I could say for that father is he said, what do you think the solution is? And he let her go after it, and if she fails, she'll learn as much from the failure as she will from the success. That's why I didn't come down too hard on the dad in that one. I might have handled it differently, but I, I get what he's doing. We need our children to be able to fail. Oh, God, that's so horrible. No, it's not. You failed at shit, didn't you? If, if you're not in this group of people, I'm going to ask you a couple questions right now. Did you ever fail? Okay. Did the people around you try to make you feel a little bit better about it? That's probably a yes. But did they say it wasn't? you didn't really fail? No, they said stuff like, you'll do better next time. Okay? So we have to let people fail. And if we don't let people fail, we never challenge anybody to excel. How can you have people excelling in the absence of failure? And we tell them lies. Probably lies that were told to us by our parents. But at a time when you could actually fail, so it, it still had some meaning. You know one of the biggest lies we tell kids today? Quitters never win. That's a lie. I want you to think, if you think I'm wrong when I say that, I want you to really think about it. I actually want, usually I try to say, let's, let's get you off to be an entrenchment. You know, let's put it on the shelf for a second so we can reason it out. If you actually think that the statement of quitters never win is a factual statement, I want you to actually entrench yourself as deep into that argument as you can right now. I want you to come up with ten reasons why it's true. I'll give you a few seconds to do it. All right, you sure? Quitters never win is a factual statement. Bullshit. Quitting is a brilliant idea sometimes. Because a lot of times people quit what they're not good at because they've been allowed to fail. And that forces them to find what they are good at and they win at that. Think of a fly in a windowsill that doesn't understand the glass. And he's flying into the glass and he's flying into the glass and he's flying into the glass. What's his future? If he takes the heart, the message, quitters never win. What he needs to do is quit flying into the glass and fly backwards or sideways or up or down or any other direction. There might be a door open just over here, but instead, quitters never win. Keep pounding the glass. So a kid that sucks at a sport, let him fail at it. Let him know he sucks at it. He has two choices then. Dig down deep and get better. Or actually go, I don't actually have a talent for football. So I'm going to go find something I enjoy that I'm good at. Neither one of those can happen without failure. If we just say, well, we're going to, what we're going to do is equalize the playing field for these kids so that they're all equal, so they all have fun, but nobody loses, then they don't know they suck. So they can't choose to either get better and really develop the skills necessary and the talent necessary for that endeavor, or go, this just isn't what I want to do. It drives me crazy when parents won't let kids quit something. Your kid gets to be a kid one freaking time. One time. Why in the hell should they be forced to participate in an activity that they hate? Well, look at interaction. Find something they like. Now, I understand when a parent goes, you know what? 
I, Johnny, I've said you can participate in any kind of an activity. You're going to have at least one once a year that you're in a league of something or a group of something or scouting or something. If you won't pick one, I'll pick one for you. If it doesn't work out, I'll pick another one for you. Maybe sooner or later, you'll pick one for yourself. I think that's actually very constructive. But a kid that says, you know what, I want to play football. And he goes and he plays football for me. He goes, I hate football. Well, you're going to stick with it. You started it. It's his childhood, dumbass. It's his childhood. He's actually come up against something and experienced failure. Let him make a choice. Now, if it's always I quit, see, my response to that would be, I understand. Are you sure you don't like it? Or are you just not very good at it? I'm just not very good at it. How about we work on getting better? Guy at the end of the video with the Siri iPhone, how to fix a bike, Siri. I want my dad. Huh? So how, how about we work at getting better at it, seeing if, if, you'll, if you'll like it if you get better at it? Well, I don't want to go play anymore. It's freaking Pop Warner or whatever. Fine. Tell the coach you quit, but you're going to do it yourself. You're going to ban up, and you're going to go down there and quit and say you, you want to pursue other things. We'll work on it for a year. Maybe you try it again next year. Maybe you find something you like better. But until then, what are you going to do? Now, why weren't we taught to parent that way? I guess you have to figure it out for yourself. I guess something else has been lost. The link to the past. See, most of us that have kids today, we had that big loss too. Our parents are the World War II generation. They came home, they got busy, they got to work. There was lots to be done. And they had to work very, very hard to put a good life in front of us. But they did that, and they spent the time giving us what they thought we needed. And in many instances, what we needed was more time with them. That's done. It's over the bridge. You can't cry over it, but you can change it going forward. And even if you don't have kids of your own, you can be a part of a kid's life. Because that's what they need. They don't need to be told they're great and they're special, and they don't need to be prevented from falling down, but they could use a hand up when they do fall. First you got to let them fall, and then you got to help them get up and help them figure out why they fell. These kids aren't the problem. The fact that the things I'm saying today are, are opening minds is the problem because the things I'm saying should be no shit. Of course that's the way it is. But you cannot have a group of people that know how to excel if they are not permitted to fail. And you cannot praise them for mediocrity. You can't tell them how super and special they are and how wonderful they are and how they did a great job when they were the worst at what they were doing. We are praising our children for mediocrity and they know it. When, when we say shit today like every kid gets a trophy for everything, do you know what the kids that are just a little bit older that were kids that got a trophy for everything say? You're the ones that gave it to us. You're the ones that did that. We didn't do that. We didn't know. We were kids. If you think that's wrong, stop doing it. Stop doing it. I remember when I was a kid, one of the things I actually really liked to do, and I'm talking young now, I'm talking like, I think it was like 10 or 11. It couldn't have been, I moved to Pennsylvania from Florida when I was 12 years old. So it had to be pre-12, so you're talking 10, 11-ish. And for three years, I bowled in a bowling league, a youth bowling league, on Saturday mornings with, with friends. And the first year, we were terrible. We, we didn't place at all. We worked the next year. We would meet. We got better. And then the next year, we won. We won the whole league. 
We won first place. And they gave us a great big trophy. And the third year, which was the last year we did it, is probably the year I left, and that's probably why we didn't do it anymore, because I did enjoy doing it. It was you know, during the summer on Saturdays. It was great. Uh, where we'd ride our bikes to the bowling alley, by the way, by ourselves, just saying, like several miles, just saying. And we came in third place. And they had a big banquet at the end, which was kind of fun, you know. And so we had been to the other ones. When we went to the first one, we didn't get jack shit. We didn't get a ribbon. We didn't get nothing. Uh, there were certain achievements where they gave you patches from the league. So you actually had to do something to earn it, okay? There was no participation patch. There was no I showed up patch. But when we were at that, that third one, they, you know, called the leagues up by the names. And, and when we got called up for third place, my buddy, a kid that's named Richard, but we called him Buster was his nickname, goes, Oh wow, third place. And we walked up and kind of thank you and walked back down and like throw that thing aside and didn't really care. Cause we, we had, we had already won first place and we knew we were capable. And no one said, hey, that's okay, that's all right, don't feel bad about it, at least you got a trophy. It was just, that's it, deal with it yourself. So the kid that does exactly what I just said today, that gets the free trophy the first year for doing nothing, that gets a patch for showing up, that gets a, a, a first-place trophy that's small so it doesn't embarrass the other kids, and gets a third-place trophy that, that's about the same as the kid that didn't even deserve a trophy, the kid's not different. We are. The children would respond the same way that they did back then if we would just behave the same way we did back then. It's really, really simple. When you praise somebody for being mediocre and they eventually figure out that's what they're doing, they feel worthless. These kids are lost because they feel worthless because we told them they're great for doing things that don't matter and we've never let them fail and we've never challenged them to excel. And yet many of them excel anyway. They're the ones that say, the hell with it, I'll fail on my own. Go away, leave me alone. That's my message. If you're in that group, that's your attitude. Don't worry about how bad we screwed it up, the people before you. Trust us, the people before us screwed it up too. And the people before them, they screw. Every parent screws up. You have what you have. You got to do it for yourself. The other thing that's really screwing up our kids today is they are presented with a single path to success. Go to college, you get a good job. Now, we live in a time where one of the great things about today is there's more pathways to success than ever before. And we're narrowing down to a single path and making and basically saying, you're going to be worthless if you don't follow this path. You'll never be what you could be unless you follow this path. It's worth mortgaging your future to follow this path. And more and more of these kids that are coming up to the point where it's time to go to college, no children, kids that are 25, that are out of college, that are moving back home and going, exactly why the hell am I doing this? But since they don't know what else to do, they go along for the ride because, hey, you don't really understand what it means to be $100,000 in debt when you're 18. And you think, hey, my parents have always bailed me out before. This will be it's like high school, but I'll have to leave and, and not be supervised all the time. And at least I'll have that. And four years, five years later, if they get through, they have a degree that's nothing more than a hunting license for a job. And they realize that most of the jobs they can get, they could have gotten four years ago. Gee, wonder why they feel lost, shocked. They also see their parents' hell 
and they're pushed to follow the example. Recently, uh, Brett Brent from uh, Canada uh, made a really great comment on the blog that I read a couple shows ago. And uh, he mentioned a song in it, We May Never Pass This Way Again. And that led to some nostalgia, and I ended up a show or two later uh, talking about teaching, the skill of teaching, and, and addressing some of these problems there, not to the degree I am today. But when I, when I did that show, at the end of that show, I played Teach the Children Well. That was a song I always loved and I listened to a lot you know, many years ago, and, but I never really paid attention to it. And in the first verse, it's teach the children well, their parents' hell will slowly go by. And the second verse is teach your parents well, their children's hell will slowly go by. It's interesting to think about. And to me, the parents' hell is everything that they've gone through to try to make things as best they can and the child not understanding the sacrifices that were made to get there. And the extension of that, though, is today the parents of these children are near bankruptcy most of their lives. They did exactly... See, this is what I don't think the millennials understand. The reason people my age and a little bit older told you to follow this path is because our parents told us to follow that path. And for us, it pretty much worked. And we were also told another thing, that all you want is for the generation after you to have more. And we did have more than they did. So it worked. So we figured, well, it would work for you, and you'd have more than us. It would get easier for you. That by the time you went to college and got a degree, it would lead to amazing new things that we could never dream of. And that, that would make all of it worth it. But the kids see it in us. They see that we're miserable. They see that we hate our jobs. They see that we're stressed out over money. They see that we're in debt. They see that we don't really know what to do about it other than to keep doing more of what we've done, and they know we're sending them down that same path. And wouldn't you be resentful? Wouldn't you? I mean, if it was you, if you're not in that age bracket today, think about it. What if you were? How would you feel about that? I'm sure if you've listened to this show over the years, there's been many times where you got pissed off and said, I've been lied to. Now, the important thing to understand is the parents, the students, the teachers, the, all of the people, the multiple generations, none of them are bad or trying to hurt the other one. They're all just working off of what's there. But society has lost its mind, and we don't actually pay attention to what really matters anymore. And again, this all, to me, stems from the main thing. We do not know where we've come from. So we cannot know where we're going. So we're all winging it. And if you wing it, sometimes it works out. But sooner or later, it catches up with you. And if you've been winging it with debt, then that catches up to you. These kids know their parents' hell. And they know they're on the same path, and they're not happy about it. And, and I don't blame them. They're also blamed for everything I just talked about. Society blames them. Did people on the news get together and blame them? I just read this article. This guy, it was uh, uh, 10 things millennials don't recognize. And one of his 10 was social media is not a career. It's just a way to communicate. You better get that straight. If you try to make your career in this, you're going to fail. I thought, what a dumbass. Okay, you know what was also just a way to communicate? 
telephones. What if I told you in, in 1950, if you try to make a career in telephones, you're setting yourself up for failure. There's no, well, there's no path forward. It's just a way to communicate. Or in 1920, 1900, same thing. Phones were just developed back, you know, about 1890-ish, I think, 1880, somewhere in there. I don't remember exactly when it was. Bell made the first phone call in history in 1892. Watson, come here, I want you. Something like that is what he said. But I don't remember exactly when the phones actually started to really be throughout the world. And businesses had phones. And you would expect that if you got a catalog from a company, there'd be a phone number on it. I don't know. Remembering. But if any time from that time forward, if you had told people to not think about making a career in phones... It's the same as saying don't make a career in social media. If it's just another means of communication, how much can be done with that communication by the innovation of individuals? What kind of future is there in that type of communication? In phones, it could have been anything from installing systems to developing new systems to selling systems. I mean, there's people that like to talk on the phone. So that communication medium leads to lots of different jobs that involve that. Everything from low-end telemarketing to high-end corporate sales. So phone skills are really, really important, and they're less important today than they used to be. But social media skills, social media is not going anywhere. The skills there are as important to tomorrow as the skills on the phone were to 1980, and yet we tell them that they're, they're just wasting their time. And they know you're full of shit when you say that, by the way. And they get blamed for things like this. So it's like, oh, there's stupid kids that they're on Twitter all the time. Hey, you know what? The guy that made Twitter is probably worth more money than the guy bitching about it. Yeah, think about that. So they get all the blame, or at least a lot of the blame. And if you're 20, if you get some of the blame, you feel like you're getting all the blame. That's part of being 20. And those of you that say, well, they should grow up, I hear from you guys, I'll, I'll make a statement about postal workers, for instance, or one segment of society you happen to be in. And I won't say, like, all of you suck. I'll say, like, well, these people suck. And I get this butthurt crap from 30, 40, 50-year-old men and women. So don't tell me that these kids are wrong for feeling like they're being attacked. Because I see grown men and women do it all the time for completely trivial things compared to the overall message of society these kids are receiving. So they get blamed for everything. And in the end, it is more our fault than it is theirs, and they know it. It really is. Now, I know you'll say, I didn't do it, Jack. But they didn't do it either. And as a group, as a total group, Xers, tweeners, baby boomers, and the World War II generation are far more responsible for the state of the world today than anybody in the millennial generation. And there's no logical argument that can be made that that's not the case. And those children would respond to the environments that we had in the past the same as we did. So we changed it, not them. They get almost none of the blame. They get the responsibility to deal with it and take care of their own lives like we all do. But for how we got here and for how they got the way they are, we did it, not them. The child's first teacher is the parent, right? You can't have it both ways. So how do we fix the problem? You know what? It's not really that hard. It's really not that hard. First thing you do, address all the problems. And if you can't, you, we can't do it for the whole society. You do it for your family and those that you have contact with. You, you, you teach kids where they came from so that they can understand where they're going. 
You make sure that they have a connection to themselves and other children. You give them the opportunities to play like real kids. You tell them that they shouldn't believe the hype around them and that the future is actually pretty damn good. You permit them to fail. You challenge them to excel. You praise them when they do well. And you encourage them when they do poorly. Okay? That's simple. Do not present them with a single path to success and ask them to give you some input on what that path might be and encourage them to explore more than one path. Don't tell them to follow your example unless your example really did work out well. Recognize their childhood and allow them to quit things that they're poor at or don't enjoy as long as they pick something else up and do something else. Don't guide them down a path that leads to debt for the rest of their lives. And understand, one of the biggest things that we have as a problem today is we're teaching these children that these success formulas that are outdated. Many of the things that we grew up believing were the keys to success still kind of sort of were and they worked out. But they didn't work out the way they did 20 years earlier than, than that. And today, many of them don't work. Hear advice like, be the first one to work and the last one out the door. Really? That kind of loyalty for what? I don't know if you work for the right company, maybe, but should you do that for every company? Or might you say, this job is just a job. And my real future lies somewhere else. So I'm going to do a good job. I'm going to earn my living. I'm going to be responsible. But I'm not going to commit three, four, five, six hours a day extra to a job that doesn't pay and never is going to. I'm going to use that time to find something better. We're giving them outdated success formulas, so we have to stop doing that. And don't blame them for the world that we created. And accept some responsibility for the mistakes that we've made. That's it. That, that That's the first thing we can do and if you are a millennial or a young person that's on that edge right you're, you're sort of in my generation sort of in that you don't really know where you are you're in the lost of the lost anyone in that group if your family won't do it do it for yourself find out where you came from find out where you came from decide where you want to go develop a connection to other people outside of the, the, the digital world the digital world's great It's, it's wonderful. There's nothing wrong with the digital world. It's meant to enhance and augment the physical world. It's not meant to replace it. Stop believing hype. Let yourself fail. Challenge yourself to excel. Don't pat your back when you do a shitty job. Don't make excuses. Accept it. Decide whether you want to keep trying to get better at it or do something else. Don't be afraid to change course. When you do okay, acknowledge it. And when you do well, be confident in it. And when you do great, realize it's okay to be proud when you do something really well. This is simple. If somebody offers you praise for mediocrity, tell them to cram it. You're not interested. Tell them to let you know when you actually do a good job. If somebody presents you with a single path of success, realize once you are an adult, you don't have to take it. And they say, well, I'm only paying the way for you if you go to college. Say, great, I'm not going. 
If that's not, I'm not saying don't go. I'm saying if you really don't want to go, don't. Well, then I might have to get a job and work. Well, do, go do it. Do what you got to do. In the end, they'll respect it. They may not agree with it, but they'll respect it. If you know it's stupid to go into debt, to go to college, don't. Give it a year at a community college. Do really well. Work really hard. Keep the cost down. Get a part-time job while they're still available. Right? And see if that's really the right path for you. If you do a year at community college, you might find, hey, there's something I really want to learn, but college isn't the path. Or you might find college is the path. But you'll be out a few grand. You won't be in a bunch of debt over it. And it'll be easy to make a change. Don't follow your parents into their hell. It'll only create one for you and one for your generation to follow. Chart your own course. Real simple. When somebody blames you for all of the above, no, it's not your fault. And no, it's not really their fault either. And no, as individuals, we don't bear that much blame. It's a collective societal shift that's necessary. You don't control society, so you control yourself. You realize you're not responsible for this crap. Stop worrying about blaming whoever is responsible for it and get out and do what you can for yourself. And when you think that's easier said than done, of course it is. Of course it's easier said than done. If not, everybody would do it. But you're not going to be like everybody. You're going to do it for yourself because that's the only thing that's going to matter to you. Done. See, either way, no matter which side of this you're on, the solution is dramatically, I mean dramatically simple. It's an embarrassingly simple solution that every single one of us individually has access to, but we refuse to do it because it's easier to believe the bullshit lies of the media and society that I can't, I'm helpless, there's nothing I can do, all bullshit. See, this is what you, the, the people in this generation, this is what you needed to be told when you were growing up, so no one did it, so now I'm doing it for you. And notice I'm not blaming you for jack diddly shit. Not a, not a bit of this am I blaming you for, but I am calling you to be accountable and responsible that this is just the way it is. And I won't pat you on the head for mediocrity, but I will acknowledge your success, and I'll tell you to get out there and fail your ass off. While you're young and you can afford to fail. See, this is the biggest. You want to know what society ripped you off of as a, as a youth. And many of you guys my age and back, we got ripped off too. Just not as bad as we're getting ripped off today. When you screw somebody out of the ability to fail, you rob them at the time they're willing to fail of multiple failures that lead to successes. I screwed up so much shit establishing businesses. I made so many mistakes. I failed so many times. I lost so much money. And then I succeeded. And then I succeeded again. And then I succeeded even more. But without those failures, I couldn't get there. You know when you're willing to fail? When you're 20. But if you've been taught all your life, failure is bad, you shouldn't do it, and you're, and you're special, when you get to 20, you're like, oh crap, what do I do? I don't know what to do. I don't want to fail. i got to just keep doing whatever society says. Young kids, that's what you got screwed out of. You're dirty and undercrowd. You were robbed of the opportunity to fail. So while you still have time, get out and fail your ass off. Failure leads to success. That's how it works. People have told you that with little posters and shit, but they never let you do it. Well, you stop waiting for people to let you do things and start doing them. And parents encourage it. If, you're, if your kid's going to fail at something and they're not going to end up in the hospital, the ER, or a freaking um, uh, prison, right... Let them fail. So what? Who gives a shit? You know what? Next week, no one. That's who. 
No one will ever care about all these things that we worry. Well, what if he falls down? So what? He skins his knee, pick him up, kiss him on the head, clean it, put a freaking band-aid on it, and send him back up the ramp. What if he breaks an arm? Kids break arms. You take them to the doctor, they straighten it out. I mean, don't encourage a broken arm, but don't let the fact that it could happen prevent all the things that might make it happen to the slightest nth degree. And kids, once you're 18, take charge. If you don't, society will take charge of you. But the simple, the solution is embarrassingly simple. Understand, life is really amazing. You really have to realize it, though. Life is amazing. You can't sit around screwing around, wasting what you have. Every breath is valuable. If you believe that one thing, all of this other shit would just happen. Because you'd go, I can't, I can't screw off today. I can't waste it. I don't want to sit around doing nothing today. Right? Played a video game for half an hour. I got to get up off my ass and go find something to do, even if it's not a job. I got to get engaged. I got to do something. Because life's awesome. Take risks. Take risks. Everybody that's ever succeeded has failed first. That, that lie I told you, it's so insidious. It is the most awful lie we've, we've told our children. And many of us grew up with it. Quitters never win. Quitters never win. If you quit in life, you'll lose. There's no doubt about that. But if you quit a thing, it's just a thing. It's that one thing. If it's a shitty job and you can get a better one, quit. If it's a shitty decision, stop doing it. I love when people make the... Think about the argument for war this way. Well, we're committed now, so how many more people should die because we screwed up? I had one person when I was like, you know, this, this stuff we're doing in Afghanistan is just a disaster. And I, we, we knew it was a disaster when we went in there. It's going to be a disaster after we leave. And he said, well, we have a family member that died there, so we have to finish what we started. And my response was, how many other people, how many other people's family members need to die before we accept our mistake? Didn't really have an answer for that. Quitters win. If you quit strategically and for the right reason and do something else, quitting is a way to win. Remember the fly sitting in the windowsill, not quitting. If you're doing something that sucks, quit. If you're doing something you're really not good at and you don't really want to get better, quit. Find something you are good at and win at that. And realize others are always going to urge you to be cautious But be bold anyway. A lot of you have things you want to try, things you want to take a shot at. And one of the things that we always do as, as, as social creatures when we're going to try something is we tend to tell a friend or a family member or a parent, hey, I'm going to try this. We want their blessing, their approval. They're not going to give it to you most of the time, unless you're really lucky and you're, you're, you, know, you have enlightened friends or parents or associates or, or teachers. In that case, they'll probably say, give it a shot. They might even say, look, here's how to do it with um, a little bit more tact and, and an exit strategy so that if it doesn't work out, you know, you, you don't lose everything. And that might be good advice. But it works this way. 
This is what you have to understand. And this is, I think, a lesson for everybody, not just 20-year-olds. If I decided I wanted to open a restaurant in downtown Fort Worth, and by the way, that's not what I'm doing with my little project, but if I decided that and I was going to borrow a half a million dollars to open a restaurant, hire a great chef, put up a great menu, do all these things. And if I didn't have the track record in business I do, and even with the track record of business I have, since I've never run a restaurant, and I know nothing about that, and I started telling people, they'd say, you're crazy, don't don't take that kind of risk in this economy and what have you. There would be a million reasons I would be told not to do it. But if I just did it, and said, hey, I have a restaurant now, will you come eat there? They would come eat there. It's human nature. The people that care about you the most want to see you get hurt the least. So they will always be overprotective. And at some point you have to just acknowledge their caution and acknowledge your own bravery and be bold and do things. Get them done. The choice is yours. Choose your path wisely in life. But don't hesitate to change the path when you realize you're on the wrong one. People often ask me like, I've had people that have hired people that they just know they're not right. This this guy's not right for my business. How much longer do I employ him? And I said, well, yesterday. And they say, what? I say, well, you should have stopped employing him yesterday. But I want to give him a chance to work out. But you know he's not right for this business. You know he's not right in your company. You know that he's a money sink. You know this is not a good decision. You know it's not good for him, and you know it's not good for you. End the employment. Fire him. If he's actually a good guy and it's just not the right environment, give him a great letter of recommendation. Give him guidance to where he should go next. But get on with it. And you got to look at paths in life the same way. When you really know that the path you're taking is wrong, how quickly should you get off the path? Immediately, if not sooner. But don't jump into you know a, 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 a pile of thorns uh, to get off the path. You may have to stay on the path, look for a fork that leads to another one. Especially, the, And the older you are and the later in life you are, the more that's true. If you're 20 and you have a job that sucks as long as you have a way to pay the bills and can find another one, quit. Go find another job. If you want to start your own business, do it. Fail. It doesn't matter. You have a million do-overs at 20. You have a couple hundred at 30. You're down to about 15 at 40. You get about three at 50. Use your do-overs while you have them. I'm telling you right now, if our generation, when I say our, I mean my generation, and older, had taught kids this growing up, we wouldn't be where we are, but we could turn it on a dime. Don't think for one minute these young people aren't receptive to the types of things I'm saying today. Don't think they don't want any responsibility. What they'd like to know is where the hell do I get responsibility? How the hell do I get responsibility? How the hell did I get here? Where the hell did I come from? Why did you tell me to do all these things when they didn't work? Why is it now my fault that I went to school, followed your rules, did what you told me to do, and now I don't have a job? That's what they want to know. Well, it doesn't matter why. It matters that. And again, for both, for everybody today. Because many of us that are older are in these same traps. We just feel a little more comfortable in our traps. We have a little bit you know, more money. Our jobs pay a little bit better. We're a little bit more comfortable. We bought a house 20 years ago, a lot of us, not me, but a lot of us did. We bought a house 20 years ago. Prices were a lot lower. 
We have a mortgage for 20 years. We're still paying that mortgage for another 10 years, but our mortgage is very low compared to the mortgage a person would pay buying a new house today. So we feel a little bit better about it, but yet we end up in the same traps. My rules for you guys say, for everybody, this is a solution for our latest generation, but it's a solution for you too. Know where the hell you've come from. Pay attention to where you're going. Develop a connection to the earth and humanity. Stop believing the hype and the bullshit. Turn off the news. Don't feel helpless about the hype. Because the hype is mostly hype. Allow yourself to fail. Challenge yourself to excel. And only accept praise or be proud of that which is really meaningful. Don't think there's a single path to success. Don't spend money on that which you know does not have value. Stop using outdated success formulas and develop success formulas that work today. Don't repeat the hell of your former generation or step out of your own. Work your way out of it if you have to. Don't accept the blame, but accept the responsibility. That's it. That's how embarrassingly simple our solutions are. It really is. And I just wonder, I just wonder how many of our youth need to hear what I've said today and how many won't. If you put me on a stage at a graduation ceremony and gave me an hour to talk, I'd pretty much tell those kids what I've just told you. It's what I think they need to hear. It's what I think they need to believe. I think it's what they need in order to believe in themselves and hold themselves accountable. And I think it's very possible. And again, I think it's embarrassingly, embarrassingly simple to fix most of these problems. Don't tell me about how your school doesn't let kids do X, Y, and Z. Get them out of the school and find a place where they can. Create a place. Build a place. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. Every problem is an opportunity. Because people pay for solutions. They don't pay for problems. So take a look at the problems. Develop solutions. And if you have to, sell them. You might find a new path. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough. Or even if they don't. The revolution is you. Seeing our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.